Some of you may re remember and indeed recognize this man on the screen. His name is Jonathan Aitken, and he was a conservative politician in the 1990s. He was tipped by many to maybe be the next prime minister, but he committed perjury. He was made an example of. He was tried, he was sentenced, and he was in prison. But it was whenever he was actually in prison that he came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he then proceeded to write some books, one of which was a meditation on the Psalms. And his meditation on this psalm today, he called a tonic for those under pressure. A tonic for those under pressure. And you might find yourself here this morning, and you might find yourself under pressure. You might be under pressure from the world, from your surroundings, your relationships. You might be under pressure from your flesh. It's not just working the way it always did. And you maybe even find yourself today under pressure from the devil. Here today we have a psalm for us, Psalm 40. And it'd be helpful if you had your, your Bibles open and followed along. What the psalmist really is doing here in the midst of all of his trouble, he is defaulting to something which would be for him a well-known prayer. It would be like us opening up, our, doing our prayers, and in the middle of it, repeating the Lord's Prayer. And the key to this psalm is not at the beginning, but in the middle. In verse 12, we read, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Here we have a believer David, and he is overtaken by a sense of his own unworthiness, a sense of his guilt, a sense of his failure, a sense of his sin, and he cannot see. His heart is failing him. And maybe that's you as you sit here today. You maybe have been a Christian for a very, very long time. And it's strange. We sometimes think, you know, are we making any progress at all? And as we feel it, so it's not just that we're the, as bad sinners as we were whenever we find Christ. We maybe even think that we are worse sinners than whenever we discovered Christ. Is that maybe you again today, that you've come to church today and there's a weariness about you? There's a sense of weight. There's gravity of sin. And you find yourself not being able to see clearly. And your heart is failing you. Let's listen. Listen to the psalmist here today. Let's listen carefully. Because the psalmist understands, you see, that when you find yourself in that situation, there's really only one thing that you can do. And that is that you preach the gospel to yourself. Now, you might like the word preach, so let me give you some other words. That 
I'm going to say you actively remind yourself. You preach the gospel to yourself. And you get the sense here in this psalm, not that the psalmist knows where to go to hear the gospel, but that he's so intimately acquainted with the gospel in his own soul that he knows the very means by which he can alleviate the burden that he feels. And that is by preaching the gospel that he so intimately knows he preaches it to himself because we see that out of the depths he surely comes. Look at what he says in verses 2 and 3. He's drawn out of the mary pit. His feet are set upon a rock. A new song in his, is put into his mouth, even praise to God. In verse 11, he is assured that God will not restrain his mercy from him. And in verse 9, he is standing in the middle of the congregation and he's testifying to the wonderful grace of Jesus. Well, he would have if he was in the New Testament, but he's in the Old Testament, but he still understands the gospel. And he still knows how to preach that gospel to himself. I want us to just look at three things today in this psalm. Look at three things that the psalmist does. The first thing that he does is he preaches grace to himself. I want us first of all to see this. And in the opening verse and in the verses that follow, this is what he does. He preaches grace to himself. I waited patiently for the Lord. And the Lord said to me, try harder. Isn't that what we sometimes think? That when we're struggling and when we take our burdens to the Lord and we seemingly sense that voice inside us that says, well, you know, you need to try a bit harder. If that wasn't good enough, try again. But that is not what the psalmist is saying, is it? He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And I'm told here that the Hebrew has got this sense. I waited patiently for the Lord, and God stooped down to me. And he heard my cry. God came down into the Mary pit, into the slough of despond in which I found myself. He came right down there, and he heard my cry. And if you look at this, all of the main verbs in these, in these opening verses have God as their subject. It is God who lifts him from the Mary clay. It is God who sets his feet on the rock. It is God who puts a new song in his mouth. And see what he says in verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Do you get it? The solution to our problem lies outside of ourselves. Friends, that is grace. That is grace. And the psalmist understands grace, and he's looking to the Lord, and he's casting his burden upon the Lord, and God is his deliverer. Some of you maybe know the Christian author, Jerry Bridges. He died in 2016. And he's written many good books, 
And one of the books that he wrote was called Respectable Sins. And in that book, he outlined what he did every day. Every morning he got up and he confessed his sins to God. And our, our confession tells us that we are to confess particular sins particularly. And that's what he did. He gets up and he confesses his sin every morning. He repents of those sins and he comes before God and he says, I'm sorry for this sin. I'm sorry for that sin. And then he hears this little voice in his head that says, you know, you did that yesterday. You did it the day before. And you did it the day before that. And Jerry says to the, said to them, I know I did. And I will do it again tomorrow and the day after that. And what he is really doing is he is reminding himself he is reminding himself of the gospel, that the basis on which that he has a right standing with God is not something in here. It's not within myself. It is altogether something outside of myself. He then will go on and remind himself of words from hymns like this one, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. He would then maybe go on and remind himself of a verse like 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, God made him, as in Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be reckoned the righteousness of God. God made Jesus to be, who, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that righteousness could be reckoned to us. And he did that every single day. He reminded himself of the overtures and the parameters of grace. Blessed is the man, the psalmist says, who makes the Lord his trust. Dear friend here and Connor today, trust in this God. Trust in the sweet sovereign, undeserving grace that we have in the gospel. The second thing that he does, well, let me put it this way. He preaches a message that says, there is nothing that I can do now, not ever, to earn my salvation. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, do you not think that's a wee bit strange? I mean, David, have you not read the Old Testament? Have you not read the book of Leviticus? Have you not read about all of those sacrifices, those offerings? He, David mentions four of them here. Is this not something that God required? But David has actually understood something. In fact, he's understood more than one thing. He's understood, first of all, that if his heart isn't right with God, if God hasn't shown grace to him, if he hasn't been brought into a right saving relationship with God, if he isn't in a right standing with God, it doesn't matter how many sacrifices he offers. They are to no avail. And here we are today as Protestant 
reformed Christians in this building. And I'm not sure we always get that. Sometimes I think, you know, we're, we're conscious of our sin, we're conscious of our failure, and we're conscious of our guilt. And we say something like this to ourselves, well, you know, I better go to church early this morning. I better go to the two prayer meetings, or I better do dot, dot, dot. It's as though that that's my self-efforts, my sacrifices, could in some way alleviate the sense of guilt that I have. And you know, my friends, whenever we think like that, and, and don't make the mistake that we never think like that, because I sometimes think we, like, we think like that a lot. And whenever we think like that, we're really denying the foundations of the glorious gospel that we've been given. And you know, David is actually saying more than that. Because these verses that he is using in this psalm are actually cited in the New Testament. They're cited in the book of Hebrews. They're cited in chapter 10 of Hebrews. But whenever they're cited, they're not attributed to David. They're actually attributed to Jesus. It is Jesus who says, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is written in my heart. David, a thousand years before, foresaw, you see, at least to some extent, that the sacrifices of bulls and calves and goats could never take away sin. It is only the blood of Jesus that can take away sin. It is only the substitution of that perfect Lamb of God that can take away our sin. And it is He then who ultimately says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, because your law is written in my heart. You know, it's as if God is saying to his son, I want you to go down into that pit. I want you to get right down and dirty. I want you to sink into that mary pit until the slime comes all the way up and covers you from head to toe. And I want you to go into that place where you cannot see that place where you lose heart and you say, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And then I, th I think I see the Father saying to the angels and archangels when he watches his son go into that merry pit on behalf of sinners like you and me, and he looks down upon the son and he says to the angels and archangels, open the floodgates now. Let my mercy out. Lift this one. Lift that one and put their feet on a solid rock and put a new song into their mouth, even praise to God. Isn't that glorious? I'm not telling you anything new this morning. This is the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And I get the inkling here that David understood that. He understood that you need to preach grace to yourself. And he understood that you need to preach Christ to yourself. And I wonder this morning, as I even preach this to myself, if we always get that. If we always get that. Have you preached grace to your soul this morning? Have you preached Christ to your soul this morning? And I wonder, dear friend, as you begin to do that, 
And if you haven't done it as you came to worship this morning, bowed beneath a load of sin, a load, a load of care, then do it right now. And begin to sense the sensation that the psalmist describes here of being lifted out of that Mary clay, of your feet being placed upon a rock, and your mouth beginning to open. And there's this song, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me? Who like you? His praise should sing. The psalmist preaches that there is nothing that we can do ever to earn our salvation. But there is a salvation. The last thing that the psalmist does is that he tells us that the Lord thinks, cares, and perseveres with his people. Verse 17, as for me, he said, I am poor and needy, but I am poor and needy, but, and listen to this, but the Lord takes thought for me. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? That this God, who the psalmist describes as great, the great sovereign king over everything, has thought for you. He thinks about you because he has you, dear Christian brother and sister. He has you in his heart. Do you remember the story in the Gospels of Jesus in the boat and there's the storm and the disciples are there and Jesus is in the stern of the boat asleep, fast asleep in the middle of the storm in the Sea of Galilee. And the fishermen, the disciples who knew the Sea of Galilee all too well, experienced fishermen that they are, and they came to Jesus and they woke him up and they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? You've never thought that, have you? It's never crossed your mind that God didn't care for you. There may be some here today, and you're in the midst of trials, difficulties, some maybe even of your own making, and you're sinking, and you're in the mary clay, and you've lost heart, and you cannot see, and there's this voice in your head that says, God doesn't my dear friends, listen to what the psalmist says. Listen about the way that he gets out of this despair. He preaches grace. He preaches Christ. And he preaches the perseverance of God with his people. He has fought for you. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, isn't that the most glorious thing that you have ever heard? That this great God, the sovereign ruler over all this world, over all kings, over all presidents, over all prime ministers, over all dictators, over all planets, there are no rogue molecules, but he cares for you. 
he said to the children, are two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground. Apart from the Father, even the hairs of your head are numbered. What a gospel. Preach it to yourself every day. Remind yourself of grace. And remind yourself that this God cares for you. Let us pray.